Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to a musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian working in the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody Thordis, Director of Grants at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm speaking with the Curator of Art and Civil Rights at Tougaloo College and the Mississippi Museum of Art, Dr. Riddell Hearn. So, Dr. Hearn, I want to talk a little bit about the work that you're doing um, with arts and civil rights in Mississippi. But before we kind of get into that, I want to ask you about um, just your early life. So you grew up in Los Angeles, is that right? I did. I grew up in uh, Culver City, California, which is in L.A. County. We don't say suburbs in uh, L.A., <laughs> so I was just use the, you know, the broader term. Um, but I uh, specifically... The impact of that was that I, I grew up in Culver City, which is where the major film studios are, um, and also very close to the beach. So I went to Venice High School, and uh, that was a mix of a lot of different people, cultures, um, lifestyles. So I feel like I was exposed to a broad range of, you know, creativity and life growing up in that area. Did you? Um, did you? I know later you you became a curator. Is there? Do you consider yourself an artist yourself? Is that something that you explored as a as a young person? Actually, not. I mean, I in elementary school, uh, I was actually um, identified by an art teacher as being, you know, having artistic ability or talent. But I have never seen myself as mm-hmm. an artist. Um, although I have always seen myself as very creative mm-hmm. in expression in everything from. Um, the things that I like, that I'm drawn to, that I'm curious about, um, styles, colors, fashion, all of those things. So it, as a culmination of how I express myself, I think it's artistically, but I don't see myself as an artist. Sure. It seems like a lot of the work you do now probably reflects some um, design and aesthetics, yeah, that you, that are part of the creative self. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I get to talk to a lot of people who may not consider themselves artists, but I always try to encourage them to consider themselves creative because mm-hmm. we are all in our each way, each individual way, I think, expressing ourselves. Um, Absolutely. In creative ways. Mm-hmm. So um, you, so then you go, so I know you spend time in California and then, and then you make your way to New York to Syracuse. Is that right? That's right. But <laughs> I actually made myself, I came to Syracuse by way of Italy. Oh, wow. Um, I th- was very much interested in design, and so that's something that I was doing in, in California. And uh, I ended up going to school studying both European, Western art history and also African-American art history. And uh, But my really strong interest was design, and so I was... Had, went to Italy to put a portfolio together for um, graduate school in architecture. And um, and that was the path that I thought I was on and ended up being invited to apply for a museum studies program at Syracuse University. And the person that made that invitation to me, I, I still vividly remember the conversation because it was a major aha moment because I thought, 
it's not just the um, the structure and the formality of design, but the opportunity for creativity. So then the next, you know, to me, what made sense was that I could go into exhibition design. Okay, so I, I want I wanted to also ask you, what are some of kind of your earliest memories about um, museum going to museums and that experience that must have meant something to you as well, in addition to kind of it that aha moment. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I think about that I know for sure I'm not a historian because there's like major facts or memories. I always say, you know, I don't remember that. You know, it's the the, the little details of, of um, an experience that had an impact, but not the overall for me, it seems like. Um, but there were there are two things, actually. One, I, I grew up again around in L.A. County. So there was this place um, called Exposition Park that had the... Science Museum, the California African American Museum, uh, the Los Angeles Natural History Museum, um, the Coliseum where the Rams played. <laughs> so I participated in all of those things as a kid growing up. But there's one thing that really has always stood out for me, and that was going, being at the Natural History Museum with my father and being young enough to stand, be standing in front of a diorama holding his hand mm-hmm. and him talking to me about that. And I always equated... Um, museum visits and going to that particular park with family um, mm-hmm. because of the variety of interests that we could cover. I'm, I'm one of, of six. So, um, you know, we were in the science museum. We were in the history museum. You know, we were at football games in the stadium. So that was a real comprehensive um, experience of, of the museums being part of life and an opportunity for social outing and, you know. Do you find yourself thinking about that as you curate shows today? I do. I don't I don't think that ever leaves me and I am always interested in the variety of people that are touched by an exhibition mm-hmm. um and how that comes across not just you know just in intentionally in the way that that I create. I don't, I don't see things as, I mean, you know, sometimes we'll talk about a target audience for a particular exhibition. Uh, but I like to think that there's something that can target, you know, that's for everybody and what you do. So, uh, that definitely is a, is a factor. So I'm interested, I mean, we talked a little bit about kind of what, what brought you to museum studies. What keeps you interested in this and that kind of work? It's all about the individual experience for me. Um, I look at different places or different uh, work that I've done in my career, and I look at the overall experience. And if it's something that that I'm excited about, that I'm uh, curious about, that there's an opportunity for me to learn as well as teach, because I do believe that's very cyclical, um, I look at an opportunity to learn as much as I do for exposing and, 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 and teaching someone different. Um, the way I came into the field, really, um, that set the tone for my entire career. And, and what that, the way that was, um, I had just completed my first year of study at Syracuse as a graduate student in museum studies. And I was invited um, that summer uh, to be, I was invited as a guest curator at the Smithsonian. And so while my classmates, everybody was going off for internships, and I was feeling a little left out because I had been rejected for every internship that I applied for. All my classmates had internships. I was the only one that didn't have one. And then we got a call 
that from a gallery there that wanted to install an exhibition that we had submitted as a student project. Um, and I had the, the lead design on that. So w- what that did for me was put my career in context where I had always thought I will work toward the Smithsonian. That was the goal. <laughs> I wanted to work at the uh, National African American Museum, which was an idea at the time. Um, all of a sudden, I was there. And so I was, you know, briefing security, and I did the lead-in morning show for the Today Show, all of these things that uh, collapsed into one. And it did two very specific things for me. It was very humbling at the same time that it was very um, affirming about what I could do. And so after that experience, it extended past the summer. The show was up into the fall. I had to go back to school, mm. and I had to rethink my path. And and what it did was free me up from thinking that I had to work my way to a certain place. It just meant that I wanted to continue to have experiences like that where I could, you know, I could go in and I could learn as I was going, but I could also contribute what I knew. Um, and so that's how I based my career. So I've had, a, you know, over the years, because it's been over 25 years, um, I've had just these different things that while they may not, you know, they, they make sense to me because they feel right. And that's mm-hmm. the way I've been able to make the choices. About it. Yeah, it seems like it would um, give give a young person a little bit more, for lack of a better word, courage to explore. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be so interesting to, to ask people who's, who accomplished their goals at a young age, you know, like how that affects them and how they go from there. That's that's really fascinating to be able to be at that level and then kind of go back to the daily life as well. Um, so just for our listeners, you know, we this, this show is statewide and we may have listeners who don't really know what a curator does. So if we kind of step back, can you explain to the general public kind of the work that you do in general, what that looks like? Sure. Um, I, you know what? I, I, I learned this very simple way of explaining um, because I was invited to, to speak one time at an elementary school. And I thought, okay, well, I'm talking about being a curator, so surely I'll be speaking with fifth and sixth graders. I was speaking with first graders. Uh-huh. And so the idea about explaining curator to first graders, uh, what I did was I said it's reading, writing, and arithmetic. And so reading is researching uh, material, subject matter, uh, writing information labels, exhibition text, um, gallery guides, all that information that supports, that transitions the, the information that you have into a way that it's accessible for people. Uh, the arithmetic part of it, uh, having a budget mm-hmm. and having to work from a budget, and um, which, which in a lot of times can dictate how much research and how much writing you're able to do. But those are really, that's the really the, the crux of it. Um, curators are, you know, sometimes investigators in terms of uh, uncovering information about objects or subject matter that people may not know about. Um, they're also, you know, used to um, inform about information that expand on information that people may be public information and people know about. And then um, pulling all of that together and creating really an experience uh, that people are able to have all of those items together, the visual, the audio, um, sensory, anything that helps to tell the story. And the curators pull it together as an experience. 
Um, and I find it interesting that that term is now part of the public lexicon. Uh, when I came into the field, not so much. You know, it was real something that a lot of people were curious about. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, I know you've um, spoken in the past about the different alternative approaches to museum careers. Um, so, in addition to curating, what are the, some of the things you know from your experience? that other people might think of within that, um, within museum careers? Um, other options or, yeah, or ways to go? Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually, um, I actually wrote my dissertation on museum, on museology mm. and museum studies uh, curriculum in particular. And I make the argument that museum careers go from A to Z in terms of academic backgrounds or skill sets that you bring to the field. Uh, there's a course there's focus on, in particular, I'm in an art museum here in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of emphasis on um, the the end product. But everything from accounting, marketing, uh, public relations, um, you know, food management, all of those things are, are you know, part of a museum. Uh -huh. And so there's a lot of different directions and a lot of different uh, backgrounds that people bring into the field as well. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people across Mississippi. Today I'm speaking to curator of art and civil rights, Dr. Riddell Hurd. So um, before the break, you heard uh, music from Sam Cooke, A Change Is Gonna Come. So, um, Dr. Hurd, can you tell us a little bit about um, that selection? I know we, we're going to talk more about in detail about um, this upcoming show, but I know you said you have a personal connection to this, this, this music, so let's kind of start there. Yeah, actually I do. Um, this uh, song, which was a favorite song of my father, who has, is, has died several years ago, <clears throat> and... This is a song that I really, I, I don't know when I first heard because I've heard it all of my life. And mm -hmm. I always associate it uh, with my father. And as I got older and I started to make a connection between the words about what was being said and what and the, the sentiment of the song, it's, it's, it's something that has been a part of my life and has taken on different meanings in so many different stages of my life because of being able to understand um, what's actually what he's talking about in that song. And so um, the it, it's part of this lineup, one, um, because uh, it's paired with an image that's in the show, a Tracy Sugarman um, image called Mississippi Policeman and a Greenville Demonstration in 1964. And Sam Cooke, who was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi, um, certainly was aware of... Um, the tension and the strife of, of the era of civil rights. Uh, but he was really known for singing melodies. You know, he, he started uh, singing uh, non-secular music and then transitioned in and, and was known for his, his love songs, if you will. Um, but he wrote this song after a very, after um, 
visiting Shreveport, Mississippi and in, in his treatment of being actually being arrested, his entire entourage, they were there to for a performance and ended up being arrested. And it's not that he had a, a you know, that this was something new that it was okay, it's my you know, but it was his time then to speak out in writing this song. And so there's a line in the song where he says where he's talking about going downtown and being asked um not to stay. And the image that's paired with this song is two police officers standing in the street in Rollville, you know, uh, basically, you know, making sure that the the black people that are there um, are moving through the street. So it really speaks to the image. And and this is what the intention of the exhibition is is really about, being able to take the visual and pair it with um, the lyrical. Okay. Well, let's talk, let's back up and talk a little bit about um, the arts, art and civil rights initiative in general. So I know that um, you work at both Tougaloo and the Museum of Art. So for our listeners, can you explain the that partnership? Sure. <laughs> How does that work? And I love that you said partnership because that's what it is. Uh, the Art and Civil Rights Initiative is a partnership between the museum and the college and uh, the intention was to bring about exhibitions, public programs, um, and uh, other opportunities for the two to collaborate and, and involve the public. Uh, the, the two institutions have had a, a, um, a relationship around art since the 1960s. Uh, Tougaloo College has the first modern art collection in the state of Mississippi, and uh, the Mississippi Museum of Art is a art institution. And so when the, muse- when the museum opened in 1978, they actually borrowed work from the Tougaloo Collection for their exhibition and have continued that relationship uh, with sharing art, um, you know, for quite some time now, well, since, um, since yeah. inception. Um, the intention in the position that I have and in the initiative uh, was to increase that collaboration in a way that included students. So one of the um, responsibilities that I have in being on campus is to work with students. So we have an internship program there. We have four students that are Tougaloo students who work in the art gallery, the Tougaloo College Art Gallery, and then also work with on projects with me at the museum. So they're actually in, in both spaces. Um I also created a course that's art and civil rights course. And um, and so it's bringing about the history of civil rights that originated on the campus of, of Tougaloo College and the way that that was able to be um, the message was actually uh, able to spread by way of art mm-hmm. and, and um, get people involved or interested because of the art collections. Yeah, the I mean, obviously the for those who are familiar, the the civil rights history based at, not just at Tougaloo, but by Tougaloo students and professors is so profound. Um, I don't I don't know if this is this is part of how you connect it to art, but I but I can't help but ask about um, like the lunch counters protests and 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 how things like that. How do you speak to students about things like that now? Um, through through your work, not that that's the, you know, the thing, but mm-hmm. sometimes it is something that people associate with Tougaloo, even those who may have never stepped on campus. Oh, abs- absolutely. The 
you know, going back to my interest in experiences, the the aha moment for me coming here in this in this uh, you know in this capacity was that I saw an opportunity to really to step outside of the black and white frozen image of the sixty of uh, the sixties era civil rights movement, and by that I mean not um, taking away from what happened in this you know the the intensity of it all. But creating spaces and opportunities for healing, because that's something that I don't feel has been addressed enough. So in the other one of the other things that I do in this capacity as curator of art and civil rights is to create exhibitions. And so the first exhibition that I created when I came here last year was entitled um, uh, Meditation on a Movement. Mm -hmm. And so that was on display in the Tougaloo College Art Gallery. And so those murals that you mentioned, the the lunch counter is on one side, the steps of the of the of the public library is on the other side. There's these huge murals outside of the gallery in the entranceway. And so the exhibition inside was the walls were painted lavender, there was gold um, lotus motifs. Uh, there were Tibetan music chimes in the background. And the whole idea was that to set up a meditative space or a place where you where people could feel comfortable and relaxed to talk about something that a lot of people um, are agitated, upset, and, you know, uncomfortable talking about. So in order to come into that space, you had to pass those other two images. And really that was a metaphor for coming through and then being able to address what was on the other side. Now, in the, on the gallery walls, there was artwork that dealt with the civil rights movement. It was, um, you know, a, a variety of work from both collections because all of the exhibitions and the programming has to have some element of both institutions in them. So it was a shared collection of work from both. And there were some images that, you know, some paintings and things that, you know, again, the, the subject matter was not easy to deal with. But the intention was that to allow people to not just look at what happened in the past, a snapshot of the past and say, you know, that's very unfortunate, but for, you know, twofold. One, to be able to acknowledge it and say, um, you know, recognize what happened but then also to bring that current and say, well, how is that impacting me now? And what does it mean going forward? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's been something that's been a wonderful with this opportunity because the creativity of an art museum combined with the historical um, context, if you will, of, of, of uh, significance of um, Tougaloo College uh, you know that created that safe haven for people to be able to come and 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 organize and you know debate and you know it brought people from all over the city, you know, into that space, black and white, uh -huh. you know, um, and a variety of ages, you know, that th this is revisiting that um, you know that same type of sentiment, um, but in a way that uh, you know art is accessible and and, and you know everybody's opinion matters when it comes to art or your perspective because, you know, if we're, if we're both standing side by side looking at an image, um, it doesn't mean we're taking away the same thing. And so that's the, the creative space that, that happens when you combine art and civil rights. Absolutely. And I, I, I love the way you are connecting that movement to now as well. I mean, it, it's, so, it's so easy, I think, for people to... Um, place that in the 60s mm -hmm. and almost like a snapshot in that moment as though it hasn't 
affected where we are in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love the idea of combining the meditation to also center yourself and see, um, connect that with, you know, where you are and where we stand mm-hmm. uh, in light of that. That's what, that's, that's the visual <laughs> that comes to my mind when you're describing that. Um, the Arts Commission has a statewide conference coming up um, October 24th, and the theme is the arts and living well. Mm. And the idea there is connecting wellness to the arts, but without simply making it about food and health and, you know, the standard things you might think of when you think of wellness. It's about living well, quality of life, meditation, um, self-care, you know, all of these Mm -hmm. things and how that connects with art. So I'm I'm so glad to hear you, you know, that you've explored that as well. Um, I encourage anyone to come state capitol October 24th to the State Arts Conference to have some conversations with colleagues across the state on this topic. Um, While I'm talking about the timing of the conference, it also coincides with an exhibit at the museum um, for Nick Cave. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the Nick Cave exhibit? Well, we're really excited about the Nick Cave exhibition. It'll open on October 26th and run through February 16, 2020. And um, Nick Cave is a Chicago-based artist who creates really, he's very popularly known for sound suits. Um, And so he was inspired by the events of... uh, he was inspired by what happened in Los Angeles after the Rodney King verdicts were announced. And so he was in the city during that time and um, just uh, the activity of the of what was happening around him. I really, I mean, it was, you know, I was actually there as well. Not with him, but I was in the city. Um, there was a lot of light. There was a lot of sound. There was a lot of color. There was a lot of activity not as much chaos and confusion, but so much, but much more about people being heard and being and being seen. And so, he, these suits that he creates, uh, they speak to issues surrounding identity, social justice, specifically race, gun violence, and civil responsibility. And so, um, there in the exhibition, you'll be able to see um, really. Uh, his way of interpreting this event, but how it's impacted him over the years with his career. It's not just about that, but again, it goes back to what we were talking about, civil, uh, social justice, civil rights, um, and how that's expressed. Um, You know, we had picket signs in one era, you know, you have music videos in another era, Mm -hmm. and Nick Cave has created these suits that bring people together in a way to address these issues. But they're so beautiful, and, and they make yeah. these wonderful sounds that, um, you know, it's very inviting. But the subject matter is still able to cover some some difficult or tackle some difficult issues in the midst of all the color and beauty and glory. Well, if you're interested in seeing the Nick Cave exhibit, be sure um, to check it out at the Museum of Art when it opens on October 26th. And that will run through February 16th of 2020. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak, speak with different creative Mississippians. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Riddell Hearn, Curator of Art and Civil Rights at Tougaloo College and the Mississippi Museum of Art. I want to talk about um, an upcoming exhibit called The Prize, Seven Decades of Lyrical Response to the Call for Civil Rights. So the television series Eye on the Prize, American Civil Rights Movement, 1954 to 1985, aired on PBS in 2006, tells the story of how ordinary people with extraordinary vision redeemed democracy in America by holding the government accountable for adhering to its moral obligation to recognize the humanity of all citizens. The steadfast calls for access to the prize of full citizenship issued by African Americans during the era are fossilized in the silence of black and white photography. The responses, however, came in the form of creative expressions that included the combination of colorful rhythm and rhyme. My guest, Dr. Riddell Hearn, put together the prize, Seven Decades of Lyrical Response to the Call for Civil Rights. So I want to ask you about the exhibit itself, but I also want to talk about this idea of column response. So can you talk about um, how column response is weighted in this kind of effort? Well, really, it's the process of call and response or the practice of call and response is something that... um, comes from a, a variety of African cultures um, that was carried over into African-American song and, and um, activity. Uh, really, And what it does, call and response does, is reminds you that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. It's that affirmation of um, I'm here and the echo is, you know, you're okay or you're fine. And so you see that a lot, um, you know, if you start with... Uh, uh, black churches, you know, with the minister preaching and and hearing from the congregation, wanting to know that this is not a performance or um, this is not a, a lecture, you know, this is something that I want to hear from you. Uh, and so, you know, people will comment, you know, um, you know, if you're, uh, I, I had, you know, I took uh, black studies early on in college and, you know, my very, from freshman year, um, and I had professors who lectured and we were engaged. We participated in call and response, not just calling out answers, but the affirmation of the information that's there. So where you really see this, the it coming into the 60s, into the civil rights movement, uh, you know, when you had people that were in uh, the back of a police um, lockup van and it was completely dark in there, um, people called out so that you knew you weren't in the dark alone. Mm-hmm. If you were in a jail cell and you couldn't see you know, the people that came in with you, that, you know, the songs that were sung in to keep people together. Um, and then it goes into marching and being out, you know, um, you know, we're walking a whole long way, but we got this together. And so it's just really a way of, of, of collective um, affirmation for whatever, whatever it is you're doing. And in this case, collective affirmation for a movement. So in addition to, I guess, the uh, original inspiration being this, this uh, PBS, um, story as on the prize about the civil rights movement um is that kind of where the idea 
started your your own or others reflection upon this call and response or if not how did that how did the idea for this specific exhibit come about the idea for this ex- the ex- exhibition really was me thinking about in this you know year of being here and working specifically with civil rights um the prize. What was the prize? I mean, people were putting their lives on the line. They they put their children in front of, um, you know, mobs of angry people to integrate schools and risk their lives to sit at lunch counters. And, the, you know, and the call, that call being like, you know, keep your eyes on the prize. Mm. And I just started, you know, for me, it was what was the prize and also um what was the, you know, I mean, what is the prize now? I mean, what, what what did you receive and how long did it last and do we have it? Those are some of the thoughts that, uh, you know, led me down this this path of investigating, you know, what the prize was, what it is now, and, uh, you know, has it been fully received? Is there another prize that we have our eyes on now uh, going forth? So, yeah. It sounds to me like... Um the idea of a lyrical response to the call for civil rights, um, I'm imagining an immersive experience. Is that, um, can you tell people kind of what to expect in how music plays a part in the exhibition itself? The, well, there, actually, there will be a soundtrack um, that people will be able to access uh, individually mm-hmm. uh, on their phones. Um, because there's a variety of words and lyrics that, um, you know, are, uh, you know, people will have to decide what they want to hear, what they don't want to make available for their kids, that sort of thing. Uh, and so, um, but the way the show will be, it, the show will be installed is there are images, uh, Tracy Sugarman images, and, th- and those are sketches uh, from particular, from 1964, and that was um, for voter rights um registration during the summer of 1964 those images were selected because um, they he Tracy Sugarman took photographs during that time but then he created uh, pen and ink sketches and so the pen and ink sketches are what are being used they're part of the uh, collection art collection at Tougaloo College and I, I chose the sketches because I you know they're accessible uh, beyond the images you know, the photographic image, um, I think, warrants a different reaction or a different response than the sketches. They're a little more accessible. Uh, and so that's the intention here. And then paired with lyrics, which are very accessible because people are comfortable with singing and with music and, and with song. And so it's com- taking these two um, ways of allowing entree into a conversation that's more difficult um, but in a way that really the intention is to set people at, at ease, to look at the sketches, to think about songs. Song titles and, and memories of songs really evoke, you know, so many different things in, 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 um, in different people. So that's why those two are um, combined in that way. However, you know, what he's addressing, what, Sh- what Sugarman has provided in these sketches and also what's in the long song lyrics um, – Again, are you know we're talking about civil rights movement, so you know we're talking about protest and um, activism. Uh, the installation will have the image, and then it will have the entire song lyrics. And the difference being, you know, reading what's there. You know, I mean, we all know that person and uh, present company included. You know, that has sung the same long uh, sign the 
uh, a song for years and you, you know, sing a line that you think is right. Mm -hmm. And then you sing it out loud and somebody else (laughs) lets you know, no, that's not even close. Um, This is a chance to actually see the lyrics as poetry Mm -hmm. and um, the meaning and the significance and the power of those lyrics. Um, Because I know that, you know, for me in the years that I've, there there are certain songs that I sing that... um, I feel empowered in what I'm saying because I know what I'm saying and I know what the weight of that mm-hmm. um, is. Uh, and so it's also a way to revisit something, you know, as what is so simple as a song lyric, but actually it, by seeing it on display, seeing it on the walls of a museum. So you'll see, so there'll be um, three things that you'll see on the wall. You'll see the image. Uh, there's the label and information for the image that you see, and then you'll also see the entire lyrics of the song that's paired. And the songs are paired to invoke thought for the image itself. So we talked about how you chose the sketches. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the songs that are featured and how you chose those. So um, I'm looking at a list here um, of even if even if people listening don't know the songs um the um singers themselves um you know you've got everything from Marvin Gaye to Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five uh James Brown Stevie Wonder Sam Cooke Public Enemy Childish Gambino um August Green with Common and Brandy and we'll talk about that a little bit as well um so with such a great variety how did you go about picking which songs paired with each image well, I can tell you that was that was the most challenging part to narrow down to ten songs. I this is a small gallery space, so <laughs> you know, thank goodness because that dictated a lot. Um, I you know I I looked at the lyrics. I mean, I looked at the images, uh, and really the images directed me to the songs. And um, you know, for example, the title image that you see that's on the the invitation card, a view of white Ruleville from black Ruleville in 1964. And the imagery in that piece is someone standing on um, what's considered the black side of town, looking across this field to the white side of town. And, you know, I just imagine, you know, what that person, what somebody could have been thinking of, you know, your opportunity, your prosperity, your livelihood, what it looked like geographically and the distance that you could actually see. It's not something that was, um, you know, it's right there in front of you. And so the song that's tie- that's paired with that is um, Inner City Blues, also known as Make Me Want to Holler by Marvin Gaye, 1971. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the lines from that song is it makes me want to holler the way they do my life. And so, you know, it's this idea that somebody could actually, you know, separate you by a field and one side of that field, your life is dictated that, you know, is 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 about lack and another side of the field, it's about opportunity and prosperity. And so those are, the, you know, the some of the ways of <laughs> some of the things that were going through my head in terms of putting these um, uh, these pairings together. I mean, there's the image of a little girl sitting in a, in a chair, uh, Freedom School student, and uh, that's paired with uh, Eyes on the Prize, Alice Wine. And, um, you know, uh, one of the, the lines in that song, one of the stanzas uh, has, keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. And 
seeing this little girl sitting in this chair, you know, the chair is much bigger than her. She, it's, it's dwarfing her, but she's so focused and she's focused on something. And I'd like to think that it's the prize that she's focused on. Well, we just have a few minutes left, but can you talk a little bit about the song we heard um, in the last break, Optimistic by August Green, uh, that features Common and Brandy? Well, this song I'm so excited about. Um, I, it's one of my favorite songs, um, and this is a cover. Sounds of Blackness originally did this. Uh, but the connection with this um, exhibition, it's um, Brandy is from Macomb, Mississippi, and uh, this video for this uh, was shot in Jackson, Mississippi. And there's a combination of things in here. There are some images and information about uh, people who were actually involved in the civil rights movement, activists in the 60s. And also it brings it current and an opportunity for positive thinking, you know, to it's 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 upbeat. It's it's something to look forward to and be inspired by. And so I'd like to, you know, leave that, especially being in Jackson, it was shot in Jackson with something to say that what has happened before is not for naught. You know, people risk their lives and they put a lot and, and they fought and continue to fight. But there's also an opportunity to be you know, to feel optimistic about where we are and where we're going. Great. Well, thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. And thanks again to my guest, Dr. Riddell Hearn. Be sure to check out the exhibition, The Prize, open from October 10th, 2019, all the way through January 5th, 2020 at the Mississippi Museum of Art. And be sure to tune in each week for the Mississippi Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission.